Get ready for the hottest talk show of the year, Crime Time Live, with your host, renowned attorney Scott Weinberg. Brought to you by Clear Channel Radio and TalkZone.com. Discuss all the sizzling hot case-making headline news today and how you can protect your rights. And now, here's your host, Scott Weinberg. Good morning, America. Wake up and smell your rights. Burning with the coffee. Oh, we are here again, live on 1310 AM here in Detroit, and also covered to you nationally on all across the country on TalkZone.com. You can go to TalkZone.com anytime and listen to it, not only live, but listen to our uploaded archive podcast of all your rights. Everything you need to know. Everything is covered there on our website at WeinbergOnTheLaw.com. You can come and join us and talk to us this morning at 248-848-1130. That's here in Metro Detroit. That's 248-848-1130. Tell us about everything that's going on that you want to talk about regarding your rights, any questions, anything at all. And if we can't help you this morning, believe me, I will work doggedly all week to make sure that your rights are protected and we will get you the answers to your legal questions. And that's what we do. We talk about all your legal issues around the country and locally here in Michigan because there's always some type of infringement on your rights that we can try to protect you on. Never, never a week goes by without having someone to protect their rights and then we have to Obviously, come back and give him some legal advice, either here at uh, 1310 during the show or afterwards you want to get a hold of us, you call us at 1-800-7100-LAW. That's 1-800-7100-529. We're going to talk about a couple issues today, getting right to the news, of course, with Lindsay Lohan out of rehab. You know, we like to talk about celebrity crimes, not because they're so important. It isn't. Not one celebrity is committing a crime, convicted of a crime, charged with a crime that's any more important than you or I. However, when it becomes in the spotlight, it becomes national news, it allows us to say, okay, what is that about? How are they dealing with it? And how can we, whether we are a star or an individual no one's ever heard about, still protect our own rights based on what was going on. And with Lindsay Lohan, obviously she was convicted and then on probation, violated her probation, and now she's uh, out of rehab. Uh, Basically, what they're doing is they're trying to keep her from going back to jail. So they put her in rehab, and that is a fairly typical thing. You get someone who violates their probation, pleads with the judge, they put her in jail, but because they want her to be able to actually get treatment, they get her back into some kind of rehab facility to use the excuse, obviously, with the judge. Hey, she's really trying to help herself out. There really was no crime except against herself, not helping herself get healthy. Therefore, judge, let her out, let her stay in rehab, and let her be able to uh, let her be able to continue with that as opposed to as opposed to stay in jail. So we'll follow Lindsay 
if nothing else, so we can learn how we can better protect our rights. You know, when you have, and we represent many different people that deal with different kind of crimes, whether it's um, crimes against uh, their loved ones, crimes against um, other people uh, that are in their neighborhood, even elder crimes. Elder abuse is actually a, a law. It's a, it's a law that's enforced around the country, but here in Michigan. And, you know, when you talk about any type of elder abuse, you have to realize just because you have someone complaining that their loved one who's older is being abused doesn't mean it's so. And there's a whole statute that goes through and tries to protect not only the interest of the elders, but your defenses if you're accused of it. So, you know, clearly we always want to be able to protect people's rights on it. And um, one of the issues, of course, is trying to protect our rights from being accused on it. Anthony, we got Anthony in the line. Anthony, what do you want to talk about, elder abuse? Yes, good morning. Good morning. Yes, um, now, it's a, an elder was uh, diagnosed with moderate to, uh, to late Alzheimer's by um, you know physician and the, the geriatrics people uh, department of that hospital. Uh, can they enter a contract on their own? So you're saying that if someone actually doesn't have their faculties or is in a, a care facility where someone determines that they aren't incompetent, can they sign something? Or before right, they, they're found they, incompetent? Right. They, uh, right. They're not in a, a facility, but they was going to treatments, you know, because they had a cancer. And also they was in hospice, uh, and they were declared, with again, moderate to late Alzheimer's um, disease. Um, well, it's a it's a good question, Anthony, because one of the things that happens is we will get someone who, let's say, is in their is is older, let's say in their seventies uh, or eighties, let's use a figure, somewhere in their seventies, uh, and they haven't been sick, but they haven't had their estate planning taken care of, so they haven't done a will, they haven't done what's called a durable power of attorney for health care which basically means they haven't designated someone to say, hey, listen, if I'm in a position where a couple doctors say I'm not able to make health care decisions or decisions on my assets to dispose of different things or to take care of my, uh, my health care needs, if I'm not able to do that on my own, I designate this person that I trust to do it for me. If they haven't done that estate planning, which everybody should do, and you want to call us at 248-848-1130. I'll give you the name of one of our top estate planning attorneys in town which can help you. But if someone hasn't done that, and they're already now in the facility where they're declared, or at least it seems like they can't make those decisions, that makes it difficult because they haven't already designated who can make that decision for them. And sometimes you need to get the probate courts involved to determine that, one, that person now isn't able to be making that decision. And two, because they're incompetent. And two, that someone needs to be designated, either the court or someone at the hospital staff or an individual, to make those decisions. But that well, that's why you need to do it beforehand. Okay, when this happened, when it was declared, um, you know, with Alzheimer's, uh, they had a power attorney, someone had a power, financial power attorney over them, not through the courts, but just... They designated it themselves. Right, they were designated. Yeah. And they bought an a, a automobile 
in, name, in both of their names. Now, it's in the mother's name and, and the daughter's. The yeah. daughter has the power of attorney, had the power of attorney, but the mother was uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Now, is your question, is that considered elder abuse because someone might have, who was designated to do something in their behalf, might have made a financial transaction that would be against, against the interests of that person? Right. Yeah. Well, it now, could be. It could be. And believe me, there are prosecutor's offices that look at these things all the time to say, hey, listen, you are the guardian for this individual, whether it's a child because you're getting their Social Security because they're disabled, or whether it's an, uh, an elderly person that you've been designated the caregiver or the guardian, and you're using their funds and their names to their detriment, that is definitely where prosecutor's offices around this country, let alone around this county, have charged people for that kind of abuse. Okay, let me ask you. So if, if in fact, that uh, she, she couldn't enter an agreement because she's um, incompetent, you know, I mean, not incompetent, but being that her faculties are not only her mother, that she can't uh, enter any agreement contracts now with a name on this particular vehicle, how would the finance company handle that if you if so, if uh, someone is in charge of a, 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 a state and goes to the finance company and saying my mother didn't have a legal or, or this, my, this person didn't have a legal right to sign any contracts uh, and both of the, uh, the daughter and the mother's name on it, right. how's that handled? Well, what we'll do is why don't you hold on and we'll get you our uh, our number and uh, we'll get your number and we'll give you a call after show and give you a little more. Uh, you know, it's obviously a much more involved question, but you know, the bottom line is what you do is if you feel that your loved one, anybody really, but definitely your loved ones are being uh, abused or their rights are being abused by someone who's already been giving them their ability to transact business on their behalf. Well, then you got to take action. You got to call the police. You got to do it. I, you know, what you find in this, in this area of the law is it, it is very subjective. It really is. It's very subjective to say, okay, this is not in this person's interest. And someone who has the right to transact business for them is doing something wrong. That's a subjective opinion. You might have one family member, a daughter saying, hey, listen, I didn't want you as the, as the guardian for my mom to spend money on a car. And because, Maybe she wants it for her own inheritance. You know what I mean? Or to buy a house. Or to uh, buy certain uh, clothing items for the mom or for or decorating the house because another family member wants use of that money. I mean, it, it, it can get that greedy. So it can be very subjective on it. I don't know. It's, uh, sometimes you have to really look at the individual facts of that. Call us here at 248-848-1130 if you want to join the discussion. That's 248 248- Eight four eight eleven thirty. Ken, welcome to the show. What do you got to say? Morning, Scott. Uh, my question is something other than elder law. I gave the screener some information. My question pertains to the authority of a judge. Okay, let's say you know, I'll give you a theoretical here. Along the way, uh, as a matter of fact, this is going from state court to federal court. Now, in front of a, a new judge, even though a case has been decided, written in stone in state in state court. The authority of the judge in a federal court who is made aware now that there has been certain improprieties in a previous case. Well, give me a specific. What are you talking about? What case well, let's are you talking say, about? Let's just say misconduct by court officers or, okay. or, or perjury and fraud on the court. You know, 
submitting false information, for example. So you think that there, there was a case that you're talking about that was uh, there was perjury that was committed in state court, and now right. somehow it ended up in federal court? Right. How did it end up in federal court? What happened? Well, there was an award. And now there was, and a particular person applied in bankruptcy, applied for discharge of debt. So yeah. now it's gone into bankruptcy court. There's been an adversarial complaint made. Uh-huh. And now it's in front of a, of, of a judge. A bankruptcy judge. A bankruptcy judge yeah. to decide to, to discharge the debt. It's a large, quite, quite a large sum. Right. One million plus, actually. And the cause of action on the uh, defendant's part is that there has been misconduct. They want summary judgment based on the state decision. The defendant wants summary judgment based on misconduct that was conducted in the state court. Well, it's a real good question because what happens in bankruptcy is a little different because bankruptcy obviously is a, as you can imagine, a federal statute that covers different types of state areas that are debt. So, for instance, let's say just as an example, you get, uh, you know, you get sued by a credit card company and credit card company sues you here in Michigan and they get a judgment for, let's say, $40,000 against you because you didn't pay your credit cards and you file bankruptcy in federal court, obviously that the the rules are it stops that judgment from being able to be enforced against you. And now everything basically in terms of that judgment now is handled in federal court because the federal authority has authority to stop that civil judgment. And the question is going to be, and you know we can talk to you after line, give you one of our bankruptcy attorneys, but the bottom line is can that bankruptcy court now undo or do things in that that happen in that state judgment that forty thousand dollar judgment that can in any way benefit or hinder that creditor and the bottom line is if it's a general debt it's not secured that bankruptcy court if they're going to discharge you is going to get rid of that debt for you i mean that is how our bankruptcy laws are made it's a little different than for instance let's say that you have a um, a fraud case now you get a fraud judgment against someone in dist- in state court, and then someone files bankruptcy to get rid of that. Well, then that's more of a type of case that you can go to the bankruptcy court and say, "Hey, this is in fraud. This was a a, a case that involved that's dishonesty." Case, exactly. That's right. What I want the judge to decide whether there has been fraud committed. Yeah. And to rule on the fact that, that there has been fraud previously. Right. And that this isn't a bona fide, legitimately acquired uh, uh, amount of judgment. money. Right. Well, those are. But, but I'm saying this, you know, I've already, you know, sensed resistance here from my side that the judge isn't even going to consider that, that he's just going to take the court ruling from the state court and that's it. Well, he's not but you consider any other type of cause of action because it's already been decided in state court. But I'm, my point is this, and we're, we're going to motion for a new judge, but my point is this can a judge, even in that situation, rule that there is indeed has been fraud, misconduct leading up to this point? Even in, even though it has been decided in state court, that's why I wanted to make it a general question. Yeah, well, and, and that yes, he can dismiss the case, or even even ask for a criminal investigation. Well, let's go. They they actually uh, do do that. What it is is basically it's called a an objection by the creditor, and you have a right. And if you have an attorney, obviously we're happy to talk to him about it. If not, you can call us at one eight hundred seventy one hundred law. That's one eight hundred seventy one hundred five two nine and We'll get you to one of our top uh, creditor attorneys. But the bottom line is a bankruptcy judge 
does have the right, and basically the trustee does have the right to look at to see whether or not the creditor, meaning you, would be um, entitled to a lifting of that stay, or basically saying, yes, I know the bankruptcy courts can stop collection of debts. However, the the debt was based on fraud, and therefore it should not come under the bankruptcy protection, and we should still be able to collect money from this debtor. And those are specific areas of bankruptcy law that your lawyer, or we can get you a lawyer that will try to protect your rights as a creditor on, as it is for the debtor. You know, the debtor, just because a creditor says that this is a judgment based in fraud doesn't mean it is. I mean, let's face it. Anybody can sue anybody, let's say, on a contract or even a credit card debt and say, yeah, they agreed to it and it was a term and another count saying that it was fraud uh, because they intended never to pay it in the first place. Well, it doesn't mean that it is fraud. It just means that's what the creditor is is designating it as. And that's one of the things the <clears throat> bankruptcy judge has to go through and the trustee to see whether or not it's really true. Just because you declare that it's fraud doesn't mean it is. But just because the debtor says it isn't fraud doesn't mean it isn't. You want to join the discussion, you call us at 248-848-1130. That's 248-848-1130. One of the things that we wanted to get to is, did you see about this marijuana bust? I cannot believe what's going on in this state involving medical marijuana. You know, we sit there. What was it? Almost two years ago now, and the, we vote for medical marijuana, and we say that now it is basically the referendum, and the majority opinion of the citizens of this state to want to have medical marijuana, and there are certain rules you got to follow when you do that. Now you might have the opinion, and that's our question today. Do you believe that we should be busting providers of medical marijuana? And charging them with felonies. You call us at 248-848-1130. That's 248-848-1130. Because under this new referendum, you know, you can, if you want to be a medical care, a marijuana provider for medical care, you can apply under certain ways in this, in this statute. I mean, there are designated ways to do it. Now, you can disagree whether we should have medical marijuana. I'm telling you right now, my position is we should have it for recreational use. There is no reason we should have medical marijuana in this country, and especially the way that it's being provided, and not make money on it as a state. I mean, we should tax it. We should grow it professionally. We should get the people that know what they're doing to provide it. And we should make money on it like any other type of... Uh, of... Uh, of um, what am I looking for? Of uh, of like tobacco or alcohol. We it's tax that. of addictive vice. It's a vice. It is a vice. Now you can claim that because of the the medical purposes and the and the relief it can give, it can provide doping effect. It can provide some type of relief from nausea and all the different things I talk about. Listen, I don't smoke it, but I'll fight for your right to be able to do it if it's legal for you to do it. But if we do it, let's make money from it. Let's tax it. Holy cow, let's take it and make it so that we can provide better schools for our kids. And we can regenerate, rejuvenate different areas of blight in our state. You know, let's make money on it like they're doing in Colorado. 
where they're going to make it for recreational purposes. In any case, what's going on right now? Now they're what they're doing is now they're just spending money trying to enforce the laws against it, using more of our tax dollars to do it. Five arrested in Oakland County Sheriff pot raids. Fifteen people are in the Oakland County Jail. See, this is what's going to be happening more and more. You get the government now and saying, oh, we don't like this law, so we're going to try to enforce it our way. Fifteen people are in the Oakland County Jail and more arrests coming in the state's first major crackdown on medical marijuana distributions. Oakland County Sheriff, who, by the way, we've interviewed when he was running for governor, Sheriff Bouchard, who's a pretty decent guy. Oakland County Sheriff Narcotics Enforcement Team raided three businesses and 12 homes and confiscated $30,000 in cash, guns, which is really the major problem that these guys, and I'll go into what that means, guns and grow lights and patient records and two alligators. I don't understand that. Two guarded alligators trying to protect it. Prosecutors contend that the operators of the Clinical Relief in Ferndale and Everybody's Cafe, both in Waterford, were exceeding the number of people they could supply with medicinal marijuana and providing drugs to people without proper documentation. Okay, so here's the point. You join us if you want to join the discussion. You call 248-848-1130. That's 248-848-1130. So here's the question. Medical marijuana, under certain circumstances, is allowed in the state of Michigan, as it is in 20 other states. But to get it, you have to have certain requirements, okay? One, you have to get a medical certificate saying that you have a certain ailment, glaucoma, cancer, specified need for treatment by marijuana. That's what you need. And then you can get it in many different places. And then you have to use that and apply to the state for a certification. If you're not denied within a certain period of time, a couple weeks, you are deemed to be able to possess it. You are deemed to be able to grow it, two and a half ounces worth, five plants. You can't sell it, but you can actually have it, and you can have it on you. That's the law now. You might disagree with that. You disagree with that, you call me at 248 848 1130. But that is the law now. But how do you get it? How do you become a caregiver? Well, one of the ways to give a caregiver, you have to make the application too. You have to apply. You have to be at least 21. You can't be convicted of a felony, but not just any felony. Well, you can be a convicted felon, amazingly, but you can't be convicted of a felony involving a drug case. So let's say you have a criminal sexual conduct felony conviction. You can still be a caregiver because it's not a drug case, a robbery case. The the law is actually very vague in terms of what type of felon other than not a felony involving drug use or a drug case. You have to apply. You can only grow a certain amount. You can only grow 12 plants and have five patients. So those are the basic requirements of medical marijuana in this state. Now, tell me about it. Your local guy who's doing your plumbing in your house, he comes by and you like him, he's a nice guy, and you seem to, and you have cat, uh, you have glaucoma, and now he becomes your caregiver. He's your dispensary. He's become, quote, your doctor because he now has a certification to be a caregiver. 
Is that the way we want it to happen? Don't we want CVS pharmacies? Don't we want some kind of regulations to be able to prescribe way more about what type of pot they're growing, how they're doing it, what is in that pot? I want to have more controls over who's doing it. And more importantly, I want to be able to have our state make money on it. I don't mean the $300 application fee. That's peanuts. We should make it recreational for people over 21 and that can be grown and produced in a controlled environment that can be taxed and that can benefit the entire state. Just like we have with alcohol. Just like we have with tobacco. Now, I'm not saying that you should actually go and you should use it. You can choose not to use it. Listen, they make porn available on TV. It doesn't mean you want your kid using it. But if you're over 21, you sure as heck have the right to be able to do it. Well, the same thing with marijuana. The same thing with my single malt scotch. I mean, come on. I should have the right to be able to do it. But if I want to do it, let's produce it so that Michigan can make money on it. I mean, why is that so wrong? You call and tell me why you think that's wrong at 248 248-848-1130. What do you got to say about that, John? Well, you know, it is. Uh, in this case, I know uh, you get a lot of people that say, well, we're American, we do things certain ways. All you really need to know about this, you should learn from the way Europe deals with alcohol. They well, drink, the yeah, drink, they give it to them when they're young. The drinking age in Europe is young. In some, ca- in some countries, it's 18. In some cases, it's younger. But in every travel guide that you ever buy for going to Europe, it says in big, bold letters, if you're going to drink, take a taxi, don't drive. The penalties for improper use and failure to control yourself while you're under the influence of alcohol make American penalties look mild. Well, so you think that the the penalty should drive the responsible use. Yes. So you think that the more penalties you have here, that you, like in Iran, I swear to God, it's, you know, you rape someone, you basically, I mean, it's, it's a death case. You can, you well, steal, uh, you uh, cut your, you cut your hand off. I don't want to go that far, but. Well, uh, why not? What? You know, if the penalty is going to drive the crime, then I'm telling you where they're coming back with that, John. They're, they're in Ohio. They've got that scarlet letter. You have your second drunk driving. You need to have a yellow plate now. You're driving around for a year where you're designated basically like a scarlet letter. This is a drunk driver, and I'll bet you they've got some benefit to that. Now, here in Michigan, I'll tell you what, we I wouldn't mind that. it. Yeah. Bring you that mind it until you get your second drunk driving. See, but then, but you know what? I'm smart enough not to get my first. <laughs> well, that's good. That's, but, but the point of the matter is, uh, there is so much revenue that could be generated if we would get over a rather parochial definition of acceptable use of vices in this country. I'll tell you another one we could tax the heck out of. What's that? Sex. Okay. Explain that, my friend. Simple. Legalize escorts and tax. Well, look at the Bunny Ranch, right? The Bunny Ranch was legal and public in uh, was in Vegas. I mean, you can have legalized prostitution, the oldest profession in the entire world. Now, do I think it should be legal? I guess I do. 
I guess if I think about it, I guess why not? If you're over 21 and it's regulated, why not? I mean, there's, why, why is it okay to go to a strip joint and to do the, the, the barely legal things we can do there to watch naked women? Why is that okay, but touching is not allowed as long as it's controlled? I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with taxing legalized vices. Now, the question is, where do you do it? Because it's all state-controlled. So every state's going to have their regulations, their own purity laws against it. So it's, you know, you can have a sin city like Vegas that does try to make sin legal. I mean, that's what they do. Isn't that what they promote? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, baby. Yes. Well, that's the thing. What happens in Detroit stays in Detroit. Is that what you want Detroit to be known for? We already have it. It's called legalized gambling, where we have started in this city down that path. And unfortunately, for this city to, I think, to get anywhere near the economic solvency that we need again, sometimes you have to take the unorthodox step, because the orthodox ones don't even have us close. You want to join our conversation, you come here on uh, Crime Time Live at 248 1130. We're going to go to a break. But when you come, we come back. I want you to answer that. Should we have marijuana legalized in the state? And I don't just mean for medical purposes for my friend who said he's got back pain. I mean, should anybody over 21 or you come up with an age, should they be able to buy and use marijuana for recreational purposes, just like we can for cigarettes and alcohol and gambling and going to the strip clubs, should we be able to do that? You join us here. This is Weinberg on Crime Time Live. Have you or a loved one been arrested or charged with a crime? Do you want to stay out of jail and keep your record clean? Hi, I'm attorney Scott Weinberg, host of Crime Time Live, heard Saturday mornings 11 to 12 noon on 1310 WDTW. Call my office anytime to protect your rights at 1-800-NO-JAIL-1 or go to our website at 1-800-NO-JAIL-1.com. We have payment plans for everyone's budget. There should never be a price on protecting your rights. Call 1-800-NO-JAIL-1 on the number one right now. 